You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. You know, I'll tell you a story. Uh, 11 years ago, uh, Jeremy and Rachel, they lived in Florida. They were serving a church there, and Jeremy sent an application for an opening that we had. And um, so we eventually brought him and Rachel out to spend a weekend with us and lead in a service. And at the time, we were looking at a couple of different potential worship leaders. And um, it was interesting, in the interviewing process, we were focused on Jeremy and uh, his abilities and his skills and his talents. And then Rachel sang that Sunday, and we're like, we're done. We're done. Tell all the other guys, you're, you're done. We're not considering you anymore. <laughs> so like this weekend, we just invited Jeremy, because that's the only way we get Rachel. Yeah. What an outstanding couple. And again, such dear friends. Jeremy is such a close friend of mine. And uh, together over those 10 years, we just formed a really unique friendship. And I, I miss them terribly. And it's so, so wonderful to have them with us this weekend as we kick off this anniversary celebration. You guys ready? Because I'm not really sure I am. Because I'm like actually like changing my entire introduction right now. Um, so today, today begins the celebration of our 25th anniversary as a church. Um, the date of our very first Sunday service that we hosted over at Fair Oaks Ranch Elementary School was November the 3rd, 1996. And uh, 51 people attended that very first Sunday. And here we are 25 years later and our church family has grown so much bigger and um, we, we just think that there's so much to celebrate. God's faithfulness to this church in so many extraordinary ways that we're just going to rehearse that story for the weeks and months to come as we celebrate God's kindness to Cibolo Creek Community Church. And um, we have a number of events planned over the coming year to celebrate our church's story and to highlight the mission of our church. And so it was interesting when my team asked me, so what's the title of the series uh, for the month of November going to be. And I, I mean, it, 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 let's get this party started. I mean, that's exactly my feelings about this, and we're just going to celebrate. And we're going to do it in so many different ways. You know, um, so here, here we are 25 years into Cibolo Creek. And I have, I have now met a challenge unlike any other challenge that I've had in the 25 years, that I'm facing something right now that um, I don't even really know for sure I know how to navigate my way through. For the first time in 25 years, I feel like I'm pastoring four congregations. That me and our other pastors and our staff team were trying to figure out, like, we've never had to do this before. So we have like these four different congregations. In, in some sense, it really is that real. It's, we have this on-campus congregation. Those of you who are choosing to come and participate in-house here at the church, and whether that's services or Bible studies or prayer gatherings or serving opportunities, you're, you're, you're here with us in person and we're trying to shepherd you well. We're trying to provide for you and serve you in the way that you deserve. 
But for the first time in the life of our church, we also have this growing congregation that gathers together online with us. And the pandemic, like every church in America, we had to pivot and provide something to folks when we weren't allowed to gather together here in the room. And for seven months, we had this online presence and then we started coming back, but some people didn't feel comfortable to come back. Some people, because of legitimate, sincere health concerns and a sense of caution, they they haven't felt comfortable to come back to a gathering like this, and so they're participating online every Sunday. And then, just like every other church in America, Sybil Creek's recognizing that some people, in response to the pandemic, they found out that, well, it's just a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more convenient for me to watch from home. And that community's growing. And we're trying to figure out how do we get our arms around them and how do we serve them well as a part of our church family. But we have two other congregations. And some of them meet with us here on campus and some of them meet with us online. And that is we have a whole host of people at Cibola Creek who've been around for a long, long, long time. 15, 20, some of them 23, 24, 25 years, they've been a part of this church family. And so in some ways, they're really connected to the roots of our church. And because of the the tenure of their experience with our church, they, they enjoy so many deep friendships that are a significant part of their lives. And, and they, they understand sort of, you know, like not only what we're doing, but why we're here in the first place because it got talked about so much in the earliest days of Sybil Creek when we were just trying to forge an identity as a church in this community. But then we also have a growing congregation of people who are brand new to our church. A year, two years, three years, five years, and you throw in a pandemic that's essentially lasted two years. And so we have a lot of people who are new to Cibolo Creek, and so they don't feel quite as connected. They don't feel quite as connected to our history. They don't feel quite as connected to our congregation. They don't feel like they understand everything about our church, but they enjoy our church. They're coming to our church, but they don't necessarily feel like they're a part of our church. They're still trying to figure that out. And some of them are are taking the initiative and they're stepping into serving opportunities because they're recognizing that's a way to meet people and start building friendships. And so so in some sense, me and our staff, we're trying to figure out how do we serve four different groups of people? Because I I, I have a hard time thinking them as different groups. They're just different expressions of, of who we are and what we are as a church. And so I've been thinking a lot about, like, how do we do this? And so the one question that just keeps surfacing in my heart is the question, what unites us together? Whether we're on campus or online or we've been around here for a long time or we're brand new, what unites us together as a church? And you ask a question like that and there's this obvious answer. 99.9% of the folks are going to answer the question the same way. What unites us together, they're going to say, Jesus. 
And that's true because the life, the center of the life of this church is all about the person of Jesus and the gospel, the good news of Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection and his offer of salvation by grace through faith to anybody who would receive it. That is central to our church and always will be. You know, it reminds me of that little boy in Sunday school. The Sunday school teacher asked the class, what's gray, has a bushy tail, and likes to eat acorns? And the kids all looked at each other, and one little boy put his hand up sheepishly and said, it sounds like a squirrel, but I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus, because that seems like that's always the right answer at church, Right? Somebody else will say, what unites us together? Well, it's all those expressions of what people do when they gather together as a church. They worship, they learn, they love, they pray, they serve. And so, so we could look at that and say, well, that's what unites us together, whether we're online or whether we're here in the room or whether we're brand new or we've been around for a long time. But I, I, I just, I mean, it's honest. There's a bit about the worship experience that's different online than it is in the house. And one of the things we have to understand about church is that church is so much more than songs and a sermon. Church was never intended to be a building or a place. Church was always people. And one of the most predominant words in the New Testament to describe the church was the word together. I mean, you read the New Testament and the church has a high touch factor. We were supposed to be involved in and with each other's lives very closely, very intimately. And it's hard to do online. It really is. That's the challenge of us trying to figure out how this works. But here's the deal. I I can look at this list. I could take you to 100 other churches in town that would give the exact same answer. They'd say Jesus is what unites them together. And worship and prayer and serving and loving, those are all ways that churches all over the world find a certain common denominator. But, but when I ask the question, what unites us, what I'm asking, what's the unique calling of Sibylla Creek Community Church? Like, why do we come together? What's our identity? Because in, in some respects, every church is essentially the same, and yet there are no two churches that are exactly alike because they have different people with different passions and different personalities and different gifts and different life experiences. And I believe that God uniquely calls congregations based on the unique expression of who he's brought to that church. So whether you're online or you're on campus or you've been around forever or you're brand new, what is the unique calling that attracts you to be a part of this church? And I think the answer to that question lies in our roots. Like, it goes back 
to when we began and why we started in the first place because the truth of the matter is we didn't need another church in town. There were plenty to choose from. But we believed that there was a very unique calling that God had placed in our hearts as Sibylla Creek that there was a need for that kind of church. So throughout the month of November as we celebrate our anniversary, here's what I want to do. I want to take you to four passages of Scripture that have been absolutely formative into what we understand to be the unique calling of our church. These four passages of Scripture, we camped on them in those first few years of Sibyl Creek. We talked about them all the time, and shame on me for not talking about them as much over the last several years. But in an attempt to sort of unite us together around this historic milestone of 25 years in existence, I, I think it's time that we spend some time looking at our roots. And so uh, this first passage that I want to take us to is, is just, it's foundational. But the problem with it is it's often the easiest priority of a church that gets, shuffle, uh, gets lost in the shuffle that is church. Churches historically may start with a passion in this regard, but it seems like there, seem, there becomes these more these higher priorities that are more comfortable and more familiar and more convenient to gatherings of Christians that this, this first priority gets a little lost. And we can't lose it because it's part of what makes Sibyl Creek the place that it is. You know, I've heard this passage of scripture a hundred times since I was a kid growing up in my Baptist church. In fact, I'm, I'm old enough there we go. I'm old enough to remember the Sunday school teacher using these little cutout characters on a flannel board. Yeah, wow, thank you. Yeah. Some of you are, what's a flannel board? Yeah, that's how old we are. Um, so I, I've heard this passage of scripture so many times in my life, but I'll just tell you, there's a time that I remember hearing it that changed my life. I was in my late 20s. I was at a conference in Chicago, Illinois. And I heard this passage taught and the trajectory of my entire life changed. My understanding of what it meant to be a pastor and my understanding of what it meant to be a church was transformed. And we can talk about calling this in many ways, served as a calling in my life. And so it's hard for me to lead from a place that doesn't just cherish this particular passage of Scripture and what it's about. So the passage we find is in Luke chapter 15. Here's the context. Now the tax collectors and sinners... They were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, these are the religious bigwigs of Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who knew the Jewish scriptures, they were muttering, 
This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, a couple things about this, this phrase, tax collectors and sinners, this was actually kind of like a a derogatory term back in Jesus' day. I was trying to think of like what would be a parallel if we were trying to describe like the worst group of people that we could imagine. Um, it would be like us saying, oh, well, those are drug dealers and gangbangers. In our mind, that was always like, wow, that's, that's a rough crowd. Well, that's what this phrase meant, tax collectors. They were literally collected taxes from the Jews on behalf of Rome. So they were Jewish people who did that and the Jews hated them because they felt like they were stealing their money from them and giving it to the enemy. And then sinners was just this overarching umbrella term for like the worst of the worst. And, and the Pharisees, they were, they were having issue with it because Jesus welcomed sinners. I mean, he had this very inviting way about it. He, he enjoyed their company, these tax collectors and sinners. And Pharisees, they did not enjoy their company. They had nothing to do with people like this. But Jesus did and then he eats with them. And that, in that culture, to eat with someone was, to, was a demonstration of friendship and, and a certain social intimacy that you really liked somebody. And here's Jesus eating with and welcoming the worst of the worst. And so we, we see some interesting things in the Gospels, fascinating things really, about Jesus. And here's a couple of them that I just want to point out. Um, Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. That's what separated him so far from like the Pharisees and the teachers of law. Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And then another interesting observation from the Gospels is that people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. He just had a way about him. And we can just sort of imagine what was that way. Well, evidently he was warm and he was accepting, and he was respectful, and he was understanding, and he was kind and compassionate toward people that, that other religious leaders wouldn't receive so warmly. And so here, here's just the general truth. Jesus never met a sinner he didn't like. And that was such a curveball in his culture for rabbis So Jesus never met a sinner he didn't like, but truth be told, he did meet a few religious types who got on his nerves from time to time. There's a lesson there for us churchgoers. So among the religious leaders who were watching Jesus hang out with these types, uh, there was this this, uh, discussion going on about like, who mattered the most to God, and why would Jesus, who claims to be God, hang out with people like this? And so Jesus ends up telling three parables, one right after another, and there's no record in the Gospels where Jesus does that ever again, where he tells three parables right in a row. And I think the reason why he chose to tell three parables right in a row is he's wanting to make sure that the Pharisees have absolutely no doubt about what he's trying to say. It's like, guys, just in case you miss it on the first parable, I'm going to tell a second one. And if you don't get it by the second one, then the third one should really drive the point home about who matters the most to me. So, read the passage. Then Jesus told them this parable. 
Let's imagine, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, but you lose one of them. Doesn't this shepherd, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I've I've found my lost sheep. Now that's extraordinary in in the respect that he had 99. Oh, he lost one. But not to this shepherd, that one mattered. I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way, Just like a shepherd rejoices in finding the one lost sheep, in the same way, there's more. Now, listen to this language. This is very important. He says, there is more rejoicing, qualitative, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Then Jesus continues, okay, let's imagine uh, like a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one. Maybe the inference is she doesn't have much to begin with, so to lose one coin, it matters. She has 10 silver coins, she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. And Jesus, in the same way, just like that woman gets so excited about finding her lost coin, in the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Third story little different, and yet the same. Jesus continued, now imagine that there was a man and he had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, my inheritance that I have coming to me. And so he divided his property between them because he had two sons. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, threw it in a duffel bag, threw it over his shoulder. He set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his dad's inheritance that had become his in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country And that citizen sent him to the fields to feed pigs. (laughs) This is how desperate he was. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, like when he's sort of like, what in the world am I doing? What have I done? Look at the mess I've made. He came to his senses and he said, Man, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Like they have seconds. And I'm here starving to death? I know what I'll do. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father, and here's what I'm going to say to him. Dad, I've sinned. I've done wrong against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I get that. Would you just make me like one of your hired servants? Just hire me out. 
And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, why would his father see him except that every day he stood in this field looking to the horizons in the hope that his son would come home? Because that was his heart. His father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him, not anger. He was filled with compassion for him. And so he ran to his son and Jewish dads never run in public. It's beneath them. But this father was so filled with compassion, so excited, so, so energized by the sight of his son on the horizon. He ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son started into his prepared speech, Dad, I, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you just? But his father said to his servants, quick, didn't even let him finish his speech. Didn't even let him grovel in some sort of repentance. Didn't even let him sort of, you know, apologize. No, the father said, quick, to the servants, quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to have a barbecue. Let's, let's have a feast. Let's celebrate. For this son of mine, he was dead. But he's alive again. He, he was lost. He was so far away, but now he's found. So they began to celebrate. So it's interesting that not everybody was quite as excited about the lost son who had returned. You see, he had an older brother he had stayed home. And he had felt a little jealous that now he was no longer the top priority. So we read, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. There was a party happening, and he, don't remember being, he doesn't remember being invited. So he called one of the servants yeah, hey, what's going on? Oh, you're not going to believe it. Your brother's come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry. And he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he but he answered his father, look, dad, all these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat. So, I'm, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, oh, yeah, you pull out the fatted calf. Son, father said, don't you get, you were always with me. Everything I have has been yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So Jesus tells these three stories and they have these three common denominators. And here they are. This is true of each of the stories. The first is that something of great value was lost, a sheep, a coin, and a son. And that which was lost warranted an all-out search. He went 
back out into the desert at night to look for the lost sheep. The, the woman tore her house apart looking for that lost coin. The, the father waited day after day and then ran to his son when he saw him on the horizon. It warranted an all-out search. And what was lost when it was found? There was a big celebration. Don't miss that. It's so critical to the stories. Look at this. Jesus says it three times. I tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over a bunch of other folks who've already found repentance and be restored to a relationship with God who don't need to repent. He says it the other way. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of angels. Angels throw parties when sinners repent. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, but we, we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. So there's two things happening in this passage. The first one is that Jesus, in telling these parables, is giving us some insight into the heart of God like what God values and what God treasures and what's priority to God. And the second thing that's happening in this passage is Jesus is describing his heart as the good shepherd. I'm the kind of shepherd who will go looking for the one lost sheep because the one lost sheep matters. Did you follow all that? Uh huh. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. And for 25 years, this something's been getting me in trouble. But I believe it. And I think if we understand the scriptures thoroughly, what I'm about to share with you is true. Now, I get your attention? Some of you are like, oh, I hate when he does this. Okay, okay, listen. This thing I'm about to say has three sentences. I'm going to show you one at a time. So don't make any conclusions about me and how much longer I get to stay as your pastor until you've heard all three sentences. Can we do that? Okay, that's the first one's the one that always gets people a little riled up. You ready? You ready? No, you're ready. You ready? These are not intended to be sensational or provocative. These are exactly what I believe to be foundational to our understanding of church. Okay. The church is not for Christians. I, that's where I go to worship. And that's where I get my Bible studies. And that's where people pray for me. That's where people help me when I have needs. It's for me. It's not. 
it's this sort of thinking right here that caters to consumer Christianity. Like I go to a church as long as it meets my needs. And if it doesn't meet my needs, then I'll go find another church that does. Sings my songs the way I like to sing. And preaches the way I like to hear preaching. Church is not for Christians. Okay, you ready? The next one, look at this. The church is Christians. The church is not a building. It's not an institution. It's not a set of programs. The church is a gathering of people who share faith in Jesus Christ with one another. That's what a church is. Church is a community of people who share faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. That's what brings them together. What we've seen throughout all of history and what we see in the world today, there's the church, big C, capital C. Every person who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ is a part of the church. But what the church has been doing for all of history is that as Christians who believe in Jesus Christ live in certain locations, certain regions, certain towns and cities and suburbs. They find each other and they band together to become a family for each other and with each other and that becomes a local church. But nothing changes. The church is for, the church is Christians. The church is not for Christians. The church is Christians. You ready? Part three. Then you can make your conclusions. You ready? The church exists for Christ. It's his church. We're his people. He redeemed us for his purposes, his priorities, his passions, his power. It's all about what Jesus intends to do through his people called the church. It exists for Christ. So the question a church has to ask is not what's in it for me, but what did Jesus intend for me to do as a member of the body of Christ, the church? You, me, have to ask the question, what is it that my Savior and my Lord is asking of me, who's been the recipient of God's outrageous grace? I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive. So the church, the church, the family of faith throughout the world expressed in local gatherings of Christ followers, the church exists to do the will of Jesus as ambassadors of the kingdom of God on earth. That's what the church is to do. Why? Because that's what Jesus did Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9, I came to seek and to save the lost. That was number one on my priority list. I came looking for lost people to help them find God. Jesus gave the church instructions, go into all the world. Go into all the world and tell the gospel to everybody. That's what I'm asking you as my disciples to do. Look at this, Acts chapter 1. Jesus in his last instructions to his followers, you will be my 
witnesses. Let's start at home in Jerusalem where we are, Judea, Samaria, the larger region around us, and then we'll find our ways into the ends of the earth. But please start at home by being my witnesses. The apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, for Christ's love compels us. There's nothing else we do. We are therefore Christ's spokespeople. We're his representatives on earth. We're his ambassadors. Look at this. This is amazing language. The language, as though God were making his appeal through us. God's making an appeal, and he's decided to do it through Christians, the church. As though God were making his appeal through us. And so here's the deal. We implore you, whatever do on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God Don't go through your entire life without being reconciled to God. It's so urgent. It's so important. You are dead, but you can be alive. You are lost, but you can be found. We implore you, be reconciled to God because here's the wonderful message. God made Christ, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God arranged that Christ would take our sin and then he would bestow on us his righteousness. And he's saying, church, Tell everybody about that. That's why you exist. Jesus' opponents, they criticized him for being a friend of sinners. What they didn't realize is that he considered that a compliment. That was on task for him. Jesus has a really special place in his heart for people who are really far from him. And so by principle, this has been at the, at the very foundation of our church since the day we began, that lost people matter to God and therefore they ought to matter to us. The question is, do they? Do they? Or, or have we become so comfortable that we're the few sheep in the pen and we're safe, we're sound, but we're the other nine coins, we, we're, we, we know where we are. We're the one son who stayed home and enjoyed all the rights and the privileges of a wealthy father who's blessed us abundantly. But do we even have any concern, any compassion? Does our heart ache or break for the person who's still lost? You see, in the mind of Jesus, just one lost sheep is far too many in the heart of God. And the question is, what about for us? For our church, do lost people matter? You see, the most important work of a church begins when we cross the street to our neighbors or in the classroom where we attend school, or at the office where we work, the neighborhood where we live. Those people matter to God, and they should matter to us. Our hearts ought to break for the fact that they don't know Jesus, and they're lost in their sin. They're far from God. Jesus instructed us to go into all the world, and that doesn't mean we have to get on a plane and fly to the opposite side of the globe when our work is right here. In our town, our neighborhood, our offices, and our classrooms.
That's what unites us together. I don't care if you're on campus or online, if you've been around forever, if you're brand new. The one thing that unites us together since the day that we began this church was that we were going to set as a priority. There'd be more rejoicing if we could win an audience with a person who was far from God and be instrumental in leading them to Jesus Christ. What if this is how we saw Sybil, that Sybil Creek is a close-knit family of Christ's followers nearly a 1,000 plus strong, but still a close-knit family of Christ followers with the heart of Jesus for people far from God. I mean, just imagine, because I imagine this a lot. Imagine if every follower of Jesus at Sibylla Creek was actively, intentionally, humbly, respectfully, prayerfully, sincerely developing a relationship with one other person who wasn't a follower of Jesus with the hope of leading them to Christ as their Savior. Could you imagine if every one of us owned just one other person prayerfully to lead them to Christ? For me right now, it's a gentleman in my life named Duke. I want to see him come to Christ. And I'm positioning my life with the hopes that God will answer that prayer. All right, we got to go. So it's interesting in this passage... There's two kinds of body language. Body language says so much. Two kinds of body language in the three parables. The parable of the lost son. There's the dad, There's the dad with his great big wide open arms welcoming his son back in with all the joy and expectation and hope and happiness, wide open arms for his son, regardless of the mess that his son had made of his life and the embarrassment that he had been to his dad, he just opened his arms and he received his son. But there's another posture in the parable. That's the older brother and his arms are crossed and he's angry because he's not the center of attention. It's not about him anymore. And he doesn't care that his brother was lost, that he was dead. Folks, I'll just tell you, I want us to be a church with wide open arms. That whether you're in the room or online, whether you're brand new or been around forever, Sybil Creek will be a church of wide open arms with the love of the Father for people who are lost. Let that be what unites us together.
I'm going to ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, we ask that you give us your heart. That of all the things that we know and discover about your son Jesus and all of our Bible studies and worship services, I pray, Father, that we will not miss the one thing that mattered the most to him, that brought him from heaven to this earth, came to go looking for people who are lost. May the heart of Jesus thrive in this church. I pray and ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. All right, gang, have a great week. See you next Sunday.